0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This episode is part two of an interview by Nick Gibson of Hannah and sung We're gonna be talking about government control and why it's important as Christians to be able to recognize government control and how we should think about these kinds of issues. Hannah lived for a period of time in China and sung grew up in South Korea and they're going to both talk about their experiences with government control and what sorts of things Christians should pay attention to. So, thanks for joining us for this episode of Engage and Equip. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys on, partly because I want people to know about what's happening in the East, because it's affecting believers there and human beings there, is I fear for American Christians who've read Between the World and Me and Not the Gulag Archipelago. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. I don't want them not to read books on American racism and so on and what what gains need to be made there. But without a really deep understanding of the totalitarian drift and thrust and temptation, mm. I'm frankly really concerned about what Christians will be party to mm. in a country like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Judging by group identity is a really... Mm. dangerous gateway into that morality by identity. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, um, I think an example of this would be, obviously, um, you know, the the Cultural Revolution, Mm. where like if you wore glasses, you should be killed. If you didn't have calluses on your hands, you should be killed. Um, If you, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's what exactly uh, happened in the you know. Have you ever heard of a uh, killing field mm-hmm. in Cambodia? Cambodia? Yeah, the same thing. They just didn't really do any research on, like, how you should choose some people like that you you should kill. Mm-hmm. But they just like shake the touch, touch the like palm, and if you the person doesn't have any callus, okay, he's okay to kill. Yeah, like he has some like some you know the glass. Say. Oh a mark on the, yeah, the bridge. on the like oh he he must be reading a lot so he's an educated person so he sh- he should be killed kind of thing. Very easy, very like so when they um have killed anybody, they don't really feel guilty mm-hmm. or like a bad feeling. Mm-hmm. Um the same thing is um, happening in North Korea too, like in political camp. Um, you know, it's, what's happening is very brutal and cruel. But the guard, the prison guard, they don't feel anything. Right. Yeah. So like,
1: it's like there's this slippery slope of dehumanization, yeah. right? There's like we would think that we're we would never do something that brutal. We're right. not capable of that. But what do we? How do we treat people online? Mm. You know, we dehumanize people digitally, yeah. without. Giving it a second thought, and we feel righteous for doing it.
2: I think that's also like it's it's happening in, in in the stage too. Like uh, it's called sh- cancel uh, cancel culture. Yeah, like, cancel so culture. When when they cancel somebody, like they don't feel anything bad. Right. They just like feel proud. I'm, I'm doing the right something. thing to right.
0: do. You literally get a burst of pleasure in your body. Yeah, like because you feel like you're a good person. You did the right thing. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, not only you don't feel bad, you feel great. Yeah. It's, it's like a, when you're really, really angry and you're hundred percent sure you're right, it's almost euphoric.
2: Yeah. It's just like they feel really proud, like because yeah. like whole society is just getting closer to to justice and yeah. the like total like restoration or something. Right.
0: This is how to bring about justice mm. is if you attack everybody viciously who doesn't live up to it. Mm. Yeah, concerning mm-hmm. um community identity. Hannah, you, at, you added this quotation. Martin Latice, head of the secret police of the Ukraine, instructed his agents, do not look into a file of incriminating evidence to see whether or not the accused rose up against the Soviets with arms or words. Ask him instead which class he belongs to. Mm. What was his background, his education, his profession? These are the questions that will determine the fate of the accused. All right. Right. Yeah. And I, I struggle with this because... On one level, I really believe that there is an important way on which identity, like group identity, affects us as human beings and our Mm -hmm. experience in the world. And sometimes in places and times that really matters. Like in the United States, there's been an effect on people with different ethnicities, right? And so I don't want to. I don't want to be like, you know, we should all be colorblind. That doesn't matter. We shouldn't talk about that level of analysis at all.
1: Your educational background doesn't affect you at all. It doesn't matter where you grew up. Doesn't, yeah, all like, those things, really, doesn't define anything about you. Right.
0: And and what it's I naive. would say is those things do matter. Right. Mm. But there's multiple levels of analyses. There's the human level of analyses, how we're all the same. Mm. There is group analysis and then there's individual analysis. And I, I think that, the group identity analysis is meant to feed into the other two rather than being the primary one.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. And um, so I don't, I don't want to instruct believers that scripture teaches or that we should act morally as though everybody is fundamentally completely, totally interchangeable with each other and their differences don't matter. Mm -hmm. I think that's wrong and really naive, but I also think that group identity can get way out of whack really fast. It's not usually the right level of analysis and it's almost never enough of a level of analysis for almost any human interaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a huge danger. I think, and you know where this is worse right now is in schools Mm -hmm. watching preteens and teenagers interact this way. It is unspeakably vicious Mm-hmm. the what's going on like i thought getting beat up as a kid like <laughs> getting bullied by people mm. was bad but it wasn't constant like i got to go home it, it happened between classes mm. like this is just i mean there was this one girl that my, one of my daughters is friends with her dad did something that some people didn't appreciate in, in middleton here mm. and they got his business shut down oh. she got like unliked by everybody she had like like this is the daughter she's Mm. she's this person's child and people thought nothing of attacking her viciously nothing of treating her like she she couldn't possibly be their friend and that she had to be some kind of pariah and i just i i think that it's an unspeakable misuse of educational power for our education system to have a regime that could create such creatures. Mm. I, I mean, I, I cannot tell, I mean, there's lots of things our teachers do well. I, I don't want to be like holistically against public education. Obviously I think Christians should go into it because somebody has got to get in there and speak up and reform this. You should expect your career to be destroyed and have to do something else relatively soon. Mm. But I think you should, I would be great if every Christian became a teacher for a while until their career got destroyed, you know, <laughs> but like, the social stuff that's being taught. uh, Some of it I think is objectively true. Like stuff about black experience in America and helping people understand some of that stuff. I think it's, that stuff's true. I think it should be taught, Mm. but the political correctness, the cancel culture, the, the idea that like you can't talk if you're a particular race, Mm. um, that, that, that like you can only be racist if you are in an empowered group Mm. and yet they don't see that, Different races in America have different powers in different areas through different um, through different administrations and so on. Like there are some ways in which Black people have an incredible amount of power in America, and then other ways in which which a lot of people Black Black people don't have a lot of power. And there's a huge difference in how much power each individual Black person has, right? And all that just kind of sweeps away, and you just function on this one level of analysis that I think can be tr- is important and needs emphasis and yet can be used in such a terrible way that leads to utilitarian tutel- tendencies. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that, that comes to mind on the topic of schools is this came up recently, I think, um, in some conversations that I was part of. Um, but the... One of the things that you see in Korea, and in China, and in North Korea, um, is the encouragement or the pressure to give assent to something that uh-huh. you don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a tremendous pressure in Korea to conform. To, to engage in positive speech. Right, to right, actively, right. positively praise or ah. um, sign on to something that you don't agree with. Right. Um, right. I mean, in China, when you're writing an essay, You can't, if you disagree with the party's position on something, you can't write it. You can't say it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, This, I found in a lot, I was an English teacher, and so I read a lot of essays, (laughs) Um, and I knew, I could tell when students were just reciting propaganda, Mm -hmm. um, either because they specifically wanted to they were trying to get into the party and they wanted to like say the right things mm-hmm. or just, they were just trying to play it safe. Um, yeah. And this was true in North Korea as well with my colleagues who were teaching there because they would, any topic mm-hmm. that you know, you could be talking about, like what's your favorite thing that your mom cooks? Like it would have to be like um, Kim Jong-un's favorite food. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you could never actually say, mm-hmm. Your personal experience and your personal opinion, you had to agree with the majority opinion. Yeah. And I think um, pressure on students, even down into elementary school, um, to agree with this moving in the right direction, you know, be on the right side of history, right. um, is a dangerous thing as well.
0: I think one of the really sad reversals that takes place with that is if you read some of the writing from black leaders in America from about like 1885 to 1960, probably one of the things they'll say is one of the terrible things about racism is that it keeps people from developing as a human being and as an individual. Hmm. And because it labels them as a race and as a certain kind of person, you know, Hmm. you are a Negro, right? That's what they were called. I'm reading an autobiography by um, Benjamin Hayes, who was a, who was a mentor to Martin Luther King and so on. And he said, that was huge. You couldn't be a black man in the South and where he lived in South Carolina. He's like, you couldn't become an individual man. Mm. You couldn't develop a masculinity. You couldn't see yourself as a man. You couldn't develop your humanity and you couldn't therefore develop your individuality because you were a black man. And my fear is, is that now with cancel culture, political correctness, what you can and can't say um, guarding people's speech by labeling things, white fragility, gaslighting, all these kinds of things. It, it actually, by refocusing on race as the main level of analysis, it is being incredibly detrimental to our children's development of their humanity and their individuality. Mm-hmm. It ironically has flipped around to do the same humanly destructive thing. Mm-hmm. And for me as a believer, it just, it feels demonic. It feels like the minute we're getting out of the mire where humanity and individuality can be, can be developed within the scope of personal differences and recognition of personal differences. We have flipped all the way to the other side, such that we're going to keep our young people and our adults from developing as individuals and as human beings within our cultural identities or our racial or our gender identities by making those identities, everything and just, I just it frustrates me so much, and but nobody's taught about how humans develop. I mean, like all this stuff kind of gets lost. Mm. You know what I mean? And so this it feels like a difficult time because I see this. I see in the United States, I feel people. I see people not willing to say what they're really thinking. I see a lot of this groupthink where people just keep parroting what other people say because it kind of sounds good, but it's it's not right. And they should know it's not right, but they don't even think about it long enough because they don't, because it's not even, it's kind of subconscious how afraid they are to be kicked out. And then with young people, everything in their life is about being accepted. They don't know that. They don't believe it, but it's true about younger people. They just have to be accepted. And so like people from age like maybe seven or eight through till their early twenties at least have an incredible incentive to be accepted. And when you have a society where like you have to say certain things, you have to do certain things, you have to affirm. Like I, listen, I'm all for the responsibility of some people to behave in anti-racist ways. But like I got a letter from I get an email from a parent recently who their kid is in one of the schools. There is a black voices group that's put out an anti-racist statement. And the kids quote, I'm doing quotations in the air now, don't have to sign it but the kids told their parents, oh, mom, I can't not sign this. Mm. There's no way I could do that. Right. Mm. Right. Like, I, I want there to be a Black Voices group. I think it's great for them to put out statements of what they think is racist. I think that should get debated openly in free speech. Mm. But I, this idea that, like, the principals say, well, they don't have to sign it, but every kid knows you'd better sign that. Mm. That is
1: chilling. Well, right. And it does something really dangerous to the human spirit to be trained to voice your agreement to something that you either disagree with or just haven't figured out what you think about yet. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it builds this reflex in you to just, yes, I agree. Yes, yes, yes. Or I'm not sure where I stand on that, but the tide is moving in this way, so I'll say yes to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we look back at. You know, the rise of Nazism, something like that. And we think, I would never have gone along with that. I would never.
0: Everybody thinks that.
1: Right. Um,
0: Everybody thinks they would have freed their slaves or not had anybody or not Mm -hmm. gone along with Nazism. Everybody thinks they're that person.
1: But when we're training ourselves to go along with things Mm -hmm. that we think are wrong, how do we think we'll have the moral courage or strength to say no to something like that? Um, when the tide is moving in that direction and,
0: um, yeah, you know, this reminds me of one of the people who articulate who articulated this so well is a black scholar who was also a mentor of Martin Luther King's name, Howard Thurman. He wrote a book called Jesus and the Disinherited. And it was, it's about the pe- people who are like utterly disenfranchised in their lives. Like how does Jesus, God's Christ relate to them? and he he basically argues he, Jesus confronts them in four ways. Mm. And the very first way he talks about is he tells them they can't lie to the people in power. Mm. He said since the foundation of the world, disinherited and disenfranchised people, one of their only ways to fight the power was to lie to them. Mm. Mm. And people have always lied. Mm right and he said the problem is though is it does something to your soul as mm. an individual mm. Mm. it breaks you as a human being and you beca- you lose the image of god you lo- you begin to fall into damnation he said one of the things jesus said is you don't, you can't lie mm. you you can't solve the problem of your oppression by lying to your oppressor mm. and he in i would i mean could you everybody read that book it's like 100 pages it's super short and he goes through these four arguments he's so such a good writer, lucidly clear, Howard Thurman, Jesus and the disinherited. But he says, he's like, you can't lie. Mm. You can't do that. And it's funny because Solzhenitsyn said the exact same thing, right? So Howard Thurman coming up under racism and Jim Crow in America and facing like the American Mm. system of prejudice says the number one thing you have to learn as a black man to develop a personality as a human being in America is you have to realize Jesus, the Christ confronts you says, you can't lie. Solzhenitsyn Russian Russian army went to the gulags he said why could this happen in russia why could we become such a corrupt society mm. he said it's because everybody agreed to lie mm. mm-hmm. everybody agreed not to
1: tell the truth or agreed to look the other way right. Mm. Um, right. and i think this is something that you've seen in korea as well in like the targeting of The least powerful social groups Mm. to sort of eliminate them to turn everyone against them. They're eliminated. Then you turn to to the the next next group,
2: larger group. Right.
1: So how have you seen that in Korea? Uh,
2: Recently, like uh, for the last three years, um, the first target um, um, was um, like private kindergartens. Um, So like they lost their power over their like actually private business over to like the government. And then the next group was uh, doctors and also like prosecutors. So it's kind of like there, it looks like there are some stages. Uh Can you
1: explain a little bit of the government's rationale in like how they gained public support for like making those groups out to be um, bad actors? So
2: yeah, it's just like they always just wanna make um, like some group of people uh, public enemies yeah. So that they can just, like, uh, increase some kind of, like, hatred toward those people. Right. And then, then whatever they do to them, uh, they get support from the people, from the nation.
1: So specifically, like, for the kindergartens, what, what did they do wrong?
2: Actually, you know, kindergarten, they, like, maybe I think you have the same system. They get some fund from the state. Yeah. About, so they sure. just, like, run their uh, personal, like, business as a kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you make some profit out of it, it's your freedom to to spend. Like, you know, yeah. how you spend is totally up to you. But the thing is, um, the government just, like, reveal, like, how they, like, waste the money. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's not, it's but, their money, but it's just yeah. because, you know, they just get some fund. right? It doesn't mean that, you know, they are just wasting government money. But anyway, government kind of, like, make that frame on them and then they became the fu- public enemy mm-hmm. and there are some like so many hearings and stuff and some got accused and then they just like they gave in yeah so it well, ha-
0: especially if the government controls the media and what everybody can hear mm. they can say whatever they want they i mean they're not going to do a big public story on all the money that gets wasted at the government schools mm.
2: and also like you know there's some Some like, you know, really good kindergarten, like really like a good businessman uh, who's running kindergarten, you know, they get, they earn a lot of money from it. So they can buy, you know, luxurious car, they can buy some luxurious watch or clothing. But, you know, government kind of like make it very um, controversial. So like how can they buy a big expensive house or car with the money that's out of your tax, right. kind of thing. So it's kind yeah. of like, it's, I think the, the way they attacked those people was exactly the same as maybe the way of Nazis or some like some revolutionary people. Mm-hmm. Um, also like.
1: And then what about the doctors? What did the doctors do? Uh,
2: doctors also like, they are rich people in Korea, mm-hmm. but the government, you know, they want to take some power over them, and they were just like wanting to have some public doctors, yeah. Uh, so that like even like um, some rural people from rural area can have the same service. Ideal, look, like, ideally. I don't know how mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, ideally. Ideally. Yeah. But you know, it's not gonna happen. You know, it's not um, fee- uh, feasible. So doctors are just like, maybe you're going to just like um, um, decrease the quality of the medical service, Mm -hmm. just doing that. So doctors kind of like protesting uh, against the government. And then the the government made the doctors uh, the public enemy. Mm -hmm. They're just like rich people not caring about the just normal average people. Like they don't really care about, they only care about money. That's why they don't want rural people to get some like such such medical service in their like home area. Yeah. So that's how you know they became the public enemy and they lost some like popularity. Mm-hmm. Also.
1: And then the nurses.
2: Nurses actually, you know, they already divide people. You know, totalitarian government. They already divide people. So they kind of like when they were attacking doctors, they used... Um, the nurses, nurses to attack the doctors. Yeah, it's right? like, nurses, I know, we appreciate your service. We know um, you are the ones... Who do all the work. For, yeah, all the work. You're and exploited like, by yeah, the it's doctors. it's kind of like, even, right. even very like, uh, it was really funny, but um, uh, the South Korean uh, president, actually, he posted on his official SNS, like uh, cheering up nurses. Mm -hmm. like appreciating them uh, for their like service against uh, fighting against COVID. So there's no doctors, just like, okay, nurses. nurses. Yeah. Thank you, nurses kind of thing. So it's, yeah, yeah, that's what's happening in Korea.
0: Yeah. I think that um, part of the issue here is, is that anytime where you have to make a judgment call as to whether or not something, somebody is doing something in good faith. So like, there, there might be people who are villains, mm. right? And so when the government says these people are villains and you're just going about your daily life, it's really hard to know if those people are villains, mm. right? You could see doctors doing bad stuff or, or there are some maybe leaders of private schools that are doing bad things. So mm. if you're a normal citizen, you're like, oh, that must be right. Mm. And it takes a really long time for people to realize they're being told lies systematically. By the time people in totalitarian countries realize that the news was all lies, that's not when the news became lies. The news became lies years before that. And they just got cynical about the news much later. But by then the totalitarian government was in place. And once it's in place, it's very hard to push back. So given that, given that based on your experiences and your reading and your interest, what would you say? I mean, you can't, maybe nail scriptures on these, but like what prudentially would you say are some of the firewalls that he, that Christians just should not accept? Like when these, these sorts of things start to happen, you need to say, I'm not doing that.
1: Um, the first one that comes to mind is one that you've mentioned before, I think, of like resisting caricaturing your enemies or people who attack you or certain groups of people. Okay. Um, to resist demonizing certain groups, right. um, and to resist joining in too quickly to ass- giving your agreement to something that you just don't know that much about. Yeah. Because, um, like we talked about, the like the damage that it does. You're training your spirit in a certain way, yeah. um, and yeah. you're contributing to the pressure on other people to do mm-hmm. the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it's so tempting when you feel like you're in a minority and you feel like bad things are happening and no one's doing anything about it to engage in the same tactics. Um, yeah, but that's something we Mm. need to be really cautious about.
0: Yeah. And I think you can put Bible verses on that one pretty strongly. (laughs) I mean, one of the 10 commandments is you shall not bear false witness against Mm. your neighbor. And if you don't know whether what you're saying is true or false and you say it or assent to it or give it support, you are doing that. Right. And then there's lots of stuff in scripture about slandering others or maliciously attacking others, or even that gossip is a terrible sin. I mean, most people do not pay attention to how terrible a sin gossip is until they are subject to its poison. And, um, this is a much worse, much more formal and malicious form of lying and gossip. And scripture is very straightforward that liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Yeah. Like God doesn't screw around with the truth. So one is, don't jump in on the demonization or character of others. Hmm. I would say maybe the second is, don't tell lies or accept being silenced.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Also, um, I just want us all to think about the consequences of your choice now. uh, Because good intention doesn't always lead to good result. Yeah. So just... You know, and like those uh, totalitarian society or government, they always use your good intention or your desperation right. for help, like to to help, like for helping others, and then like they just give you just only few options, and then if you don't choose this, you are not taking care of them, you are not helping right. them, and You're like a bad we just choose, we may uh, choose out of um, desperation. Like, oh, we need to help Mm -hmm. them. We got to do something about it. And then like, something has to be done. Yeah. And then we make wrong one, like as your choice. And then what about the consequences? You are the one who's going to pay for it. So you got to be really, really careful not to make any like, like dumb choice.
0: I think that's really helpful. So you said two things. One is, that it preys on your good intentions mm. and in your urgency to get things done. Mm. In American um, progressive history, this was called the moral equivalent of war. Mm. That people saw how in World War One, World War Two, all of American society mobilized everything they could to solve a particular problem, which was a world war. Mm. And so after these world wars, there were American scholars who said what see what we need to do is we need to look at our social problems Mm. and we need to all mobilize together as one country Mm. um, to solve this problem. It's the moral equivalent of war. And on one level, that's like a really inspiring thing because almost everybody agreed to do that to beat the Nazis. Right. Mm. But is racism any, any better than that is, is poverty is Mm. right. And so there's this idea that like, if you're a good person, Mm. you will feel urgency And you will go along with what we're telling you to do to fix this problem because the problem is too big for Mm. all of us to act freely. Mm. We all have to be organized and we all have to function on the basis of the best science and the best minds, which are all in the government. Mm. And so we know what to tell you what to do. We all have to do the same thing to fund it and make it work. So you need to get on board with this. Mm. There's a lot of pressure in that. There's a lot of pressure in that.
1: Um, Here's another thing that I've been thinking about recently that I'm not sure I can um, articulate very clearly. But, um, you know, in all of these cases where you see totalitarianism take, take hold, um, it's on the backs of the grievances of people, um, justified or not. Right. You know, whether they are right in their perception of their suffering or not, they right. still experience suffering. Right. They still feel like there's an injustice. Um, in many cases, there is legitimate injustice um, that the current system has failed to address mm-hmm. and people have been left behind, so to speak. Yeah. And I think it's really easy for us when we're looking at a dangerous direction that we're going in and we feel frustrated or um, angry at people who seem to be manipulating the yeah. trajectory of our society in a certain way that will, we believe, lead to its ruin, it's really easy to be dismissive of those complaints right. and say, um, this is all manufactured, right. you're, like, you're leading us in the wrong direction. But, I mean, especially as Christians, um, we have to have compassion for people who really genuinely feel like they've been left behind or have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if we weren't Christians, strategically... Um, you have to make those people feel like they're being seen. Right. Mm. You have to take away their sense of grievance, not by tricking them, but by actually do, trying to solve their problems. Right. Um, who
0: doesn't want to burn down a franchise they don't get to be a part of?
1: Exactly. Right. So whether you do it out of strategic motivation or out of Christ-like compassion, mm. um, mm-hmm. actually paying attention to the complaints of people yeah. who may be misguided in how they think that problem can be solved but are pointing to a real problem that does need to be solved yeah um and if we just put all of our energy into pushing against this tide and we don't mm -hmm. try to get to the root of what's fueling people's craving their hope their need for something then i think we've really missed the point yeah, because I think
0: it's I think one of the things that happens as totalitarianism stages is it increases this this sense of being aggrieved in people, and so, um, and I think in the United States this is happening on both sides, that there's this sense in which there's this growing like I I listened to somebody recently who said if you put together a press and an educational system and governmental programs and public speech designed to hate white people.
3: Mm.
0: that is a system and an institution and it's racist Mm. that's by definition institutional racism why wouldn't white people fight that as much as black people want to fight institutional racism right so it's very easy to like for like then white people on the conservative side to be like don't you see we're aggrieved right Mm. so because i'm aggrieved you can't be right when in fact like We're sinners. There's plenty of aggrievedness to go around. Mm. And it still may be that, like, certain things still need to be fixed. And so there's this temptation for me to say, You're not aggrieved. And
1: I am. Right. When, like, you've made the point before of, like, remembering who your enemy is. Right. Right. And as a Christian, it's as the As a Christian, devil, at the end of the day, we're all victims sin. of right. <laughs> Satan's deception and his right. attack and his um, seeking to destroy. And right. we're crippled by our sinful nature, um, accountable nonetheless. But yeah. um, like our enemies are not the people who are attacking us.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think grappling with the history of totalitarianism is helpful in that. The likelihood that you and I are different from the people who either perpetrated or went along with totalitarianism is highly unlikely. Like, I would love to believe that if I lived in the American South and was white and wealthy in 1820, that I would have refused to have slaves and that if I had inherited them, I would have freed them. I don't, I don't know that that's true. And what I want to do when I recognize that is I want to pursue godliness all the more so that I could become the kind of person that would be true, would have been true of in 1820. And so that I might actually see the thing I can't see now and do what must be done in the present. Mm -hmm. And I I fear that people so easily are like, well, I'm not like those people. And you feel so good when you're, when you're doing in America right now, it's being anti racist, Mm -hmm. right? Like I just, I tweeted the right thing. I affirmed the right thing. And so I'm not being white, fr- white fragility. I'm not behaving in a, a white fragile way. Mm. I'm being anti-racist. Therefore, I'm a good person. And y- no, you're not. You're mm. you're you're going mm. along with the majority, which is what the slaveholder did in 1820. You're the exact same as him. Yeah. Right.
2: Actually, we, last night we talked about um, shallowness as uh, one of the characteristics of um, totalitarianism. Very shallow, like Being everything. shallow, not like, deep. Being shallow. Yeah. So. Like, people, like, think of them as, like, more moral than actually they are. So, we are not that moral. But just because, like, you are the same person exactly as, like, your neighbors. But just because you say, oh, I care about, like, black people, I care about Asians, or I just treat Asians in the same way um, as white people, then, like, you feel so good. Because you don't do anything in action, but, like, you just, like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not those people kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Can, can I give you guys a quick example of this and you can comment on it? There's a guy in our church who's, who's Asian and he's also been in our um, like involved in our Forgiven and Free like Sexual Addiction and Dysfunction Recovery kind of ministry. And when the Atlanta shooting happened where this guy went into these massage parlors and killed a number of people, mm-hmm. including more Asian women than anything else, mm-hmm. um, people were like, oh, this is a terrible anti-Asian hate crime. And we should talk about that. And what, what ended up happening with this young Asian man was he went and he didn't blow up. He was like, Oh, this is terrible. Oh, these Asian people died. Oh my gosh. I identify with that. But instead of flying into an emotional rage about it, he was like, okay, let me figure out what happened so I can have the right feelings based on what really happened. And as he looked into it, he found that this guy had identified as a Christian, had struggled with sexual addiction had mental health problems and so on. And there was no evidence that he had an anti Asian bias. Now it's decently likely he objectified Asian women with a kind of fetish as a lot of white men do who have sexual addictions and look at certain kinds of porn, but like, it wasn't because he hated Asians. Right. And what ended up happening was he's like, we should have a conversation about this specifically about how the church is loving or not loving sexually addicted men in a sex saturated culture and how that can lead to the objectification of women and attacking women who, some of whom will be Asians, right? Mm-hmm. So it led people to find out a separate fact that anti-Asian biases and attacks have been on the rise in America. That's something not everybody knew. Mm-hmm. And though this isn't really a very good example of it, it did cause us to find out that other fact that's worth knowing and worth talking about. But it also, this, this young Asian man was like, we should talk about the thing that this really does bring up, which is how did this young man not get helped by the church of Christ in his sexual addictions? Mm. Right. And because he was, he wasn't shallow enough to immediately feel racially aggrieved and then not think any more about it because he was like, okay, I want to know the truth. Like what really happened here? And then he applied it to himself appropriately. And then he was like, how can we really grapple with what this really is? He, he advocated, he sent me an email. He talked on the phone with, with Luke before Luke preached, he like really got involved in making the world better. Mm. And like, but like as a human an Asian, a man and an individual Mm. on a level where he grew in depth, we grew in depth. Mm. And even though we talked about group differences, like that he was Asian and I'm white, that wasn't dividing. It was enlightening and enhancing. Does that make sense? And so I felt like that was a really good example of somebody who wasn't shallow. Mm. He didn't just react and then behave however he wanted and then say, you should listen because I'm upset. We should be lamenting together. He like, he dug in and felt deeply Mm. and I think behaved in a really a human and group identified and individual level Mm. in a way that was really godly and holistic. And I was just really proud to see that across our church. I saw a lot of Asians and non-Asian people Like rallying to this to have really great discussions about what God wants to do in our lives, what we should repent of, what we should believe, but not mired by this Mm. script or virtue signaling or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's a a good example. Um, And I would also say, like, if he did have strong emotions right off the bat. Yeah. It's okay. You know, you can, <laughs> um, but he, he can't end there. Right. Um, you know, we're not robots. We can't like see something like that and right. like um, only analyze it. You know, we have to feel it too. Um, yeah. But we have to do those two things together as a whole person um, mm-hmm. to not let our analysis be dominated by our emotions and not let our emotions be like subdued or crippled by our analysis. Mm. Um, And so I think that is a great example of someone who like refused to assume enemies Mm -hmm. or make assumptions out of people um, Mm. who really sought the good of the whole church and the development of the church Mm -hmm. um, for um, building something beautiful um, while calling out genuine problems. Like you can't, Build something beautiful without, like, in the church without exposing its deficiencies, its failures. Yeah. Um,
0: Do you guys have you read things that you think Christians might want to breed? Like, that helped you, that helped lay out what utilitarianism is, how it functions as a human thing, or like examples of it or stories of it? Like, I read four or five biographies in my college days of pastors who had been through communism and it really impacted me a lot. Mm -hmm. Have you had that experience? Have you read certain things?
1: Um, Well, I I recently read the live not by lies, um, by Rod Dreher. Right. Um, and that was really helpful for me too. And like I said, I am not of the cold war generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and they probably taught me stuff about it in school, but I have a poor memory. I don't remember. I don't think of it as a foundation of my education or, um, and, but something that Dreer wrote in the book, he quoted Cicero and that, that those who don't know their history are doomed to be children forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that was really convicting for me personally. And that I've never dealt very deeply. I've never dealt very deeply in history before. Um, but I think of my Chinese students who have only been given a very limited reconstructed yeah. view of history. Um, and I feel so sorry for them. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. if you're looking for spe- specifically for something about China, um, one book that I read in preparing to go there was called age of ambition by mm-hmm. Evan Osnos. And it's not specifically looking at totalitarianism, but, it shows the like transformation of China, modern China, and you can see a lot of the like impacts of communism and yeah. how it moved in and out of different like strictness or loosening um, for the sake of um, development. Yeah, and that's really helpful um, for me.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the books we made our kids listen to on a road trip was um, the story of Gladys Allward Hmm. in the YWM did like a series of like missionary biographies. And the one for Gladys Allward, she was a she was like a charwoman. She was like a woman who like cooked in a wealthy British household Mm -hmm. who became a Christian, was inspired by Hudson Taylor going to China. She was, like, too old and too dumb. Like, she was, like, working class, didn't have a good Mm -hmm. education. But there was, like, this old woman who was running an inn. And so she took trains across Russia, like, Mm -hmm. into China. And it's a story about, like, how she took in these children and started an orphanage and, like, cared for prisoners, all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the story is, like, when that part of China is invaded and, like, just like destroyed by Chinese by Japanese soldiers but then it she also lives long enough to come out the other side of that and the rise of of communism and totalitarianism and how believers were murdered and so on and and I think her grave is actually on a hill in Taiwan that like overlooks the Chinese mainland mm-hmm. because ultimately she had to leave mm-hmm. um over my over my desk in my office there is a newspaper article from the Shanghai Mercury. And it was literally the article that listed the murdered Christian missionaries by the early boxer rebellion in China, where they just went onto trains and just killed everybody who was white mm-hmm. and that they thought were Christian missionaries. And, um, I had a great aunt who was a missionary at that time. For some reason, she wasn't killed probably cause she was a woman and, um, was able to kind of hide and, and Christ- Christians just, just don't know about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of generations ago, people would read God Smuggler by Brother Andrew. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. would smuggle Bibles into the Soviet bloc. Um, a book really that I loved was Tortured for His Faith by Harlan Popov. A lot of Christians read Tortured for Christ by mm-hmm. Richard Vermeurent. Mm-hmm. starts with a, it Starts with a W. He's German. I think he was Romanian. Mm-hmm. But like, man, I think Rod Dreher's book is the most contemporary. Right. Live not by lies. He interviews Eastern European believers who lived and led the underground church during the age of communism and paid terrible costs for it. And um, these people are getting older and they're dying now because, I mean, they're in their late 80s, and early 90s. Mm. And so he like did this to like kind of catalog this. And his belief is, is that the Christian church in America is going to be underground very soon and we need to prepare to not have big church buildings, not be able to post whatever we want on the internet and be ready to be an underground church. Mm. And I'm all for that because even if it doesn't happen, it'll make us more substantial and less shallow people.
1: Right. One of the things he says is like small group leaders need to like learn to be clergy, you know, right. for their, for their groups. Um, right. And another thing he mentioned was like to learn how not to like cave during an interrogation. I was like, where does one sign up for that training? <laughs> Like, where do we, how do you get trained in that? He says, uh, like, the believers had trained in right. doing that. Like, well, how well do you, you know, what
0: happened that? was, is people who'd been through a few of them right. w- trained the other people.
1: But we have none of that memory here. Oh, I right? know. Um, another thing that's kind of in a different vein, mm-hmm. but I remember when I was growing up, you know, and I was in elementary, middle school, there was a series of books, I think, by, like, DC Talk called Jesus Freaks. Mm-hmm. And they recounted very like, brief stories of martyrs, yeah. um, mostly modern martyrs. Um, and I knew almost nothing of the history that those t- stories were coming out of, yeah. but it really deeply shaped my imagination as a Christian yeah. um, and my concept of what it means to follow Christ. And my, Maybe my parents regret letting me read those books now, <laughs> um, but um, I think if you have young people in your life, and you want to help move their imagination in the direction of total devotion to Christ in the face Mm. of opposition, um, that could be a good place to look.
0: I believe Christian children should be reared on the stories of the martyrs from as soon as they can Mm. understand stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I think, I mean, everybody's a martyr. Like, you have to take up your cross daily and follow Christ. If you're not ready to physically die, you're not going to be ready to be godly today. Mm. And I think um, one of the things that, Lex and I have talked about a good bit is that the slow slide of utilitarianism is harder to resist than the immediate question of will you deny Christ or die? Mm-hmm. That there's something in that all or nothing moment where somebody says, You accept you reject Jesus or you're gonna die. You're like, wait a second, this is a big decision. Whereas it's kind of like, no, just hit like on that thing where everybody's piling onto this person who said something. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's like, it's real easy. And I I think that like you have to be prepared to be a martyr to make the right decision in the moment right now. Mm -hmm. Mm. Plus, I think you'll be happier. If you die to this world, you'll be happier.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's another quote from that book um, where one of these women who had lived through um, a lot of suffering under Mm -hmm. the communist regime in her country, she said that our silence will corrode us Um, more than this like persecution can. And she said that there's this great quote. She's been thinking a lot about fear. Um, And she said that ultimately the people who act on fear will suffer more than, or sorry, than like cowardice will make you suffer more than courage will. Yeah. Like you'll suffer in the short term potentially for your courage Mm -hmm. But giving into fear, Mm -hmm. you'll suffer far more.
0: You'll suffer forever. Right. Yeah. I was reading a book by a psychologist recently who he said, if you really want to overcome dysfunction, especially if it's embedded in chronic anxiety, which totalitarianism just grows in the soup of, right? He said, it will never be a simple fix. That's always a false solution. He says, it will always require acute pain in the present. For long, something long term to go better, and I, I think that's true for this. Like it takes um, it, you have to act in courage in the present. It should be terrifying, and it will cost you. Mm. And if that's not true, you're probably not being courageous, right? It's one of the reasons why I was saying to you earlier that like when people are like, look, when people are upset, you just gotta listen. Just listen. These people want to be heard. I mean, that's as good as any other bad solution. But like <laughs> that. Like the fact that that doesn't take courage Mm
3: -hmm.
0: was one of the first things I knew was wrong with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, no, that's exactly what you want. That's what cowardice says. Mm -hmm. It might be partly right. It's because and and that's why you'll allow yourself to do it because it's partly right. Mm -hmm. But like Christian prudence in a situation where someone is raging is almost never to just listen. Mm -hmm. It's usually listen first, Mm -hmm. but then you'll have some responsibility to engage with the truth. Right. So, yeah, I think that's what I've been preaching on courage for a while, mm-hmm. like dying, godliness, courage,
1: strength, resiliency.
0: Like, I I, I really, just spoke
1: to someone on Sunday who said that um, they came during the substance series yeah. and they're like, he could preach on that again. I'd come for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, doesn't he yeah. preach on that every Sunday? Every Sunday. <laughs> every Sunday. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And part of it is too, is that not, not only do I believe this is going to be needed, mm-hmm. But I think that it's gonna. I think that it's necessary to not. I mean, I think modern secular people get just sick of their lives. It's just being comfortable and getting a nice car and having a nice thing and like, I just. I think it just. It's like drinking a lot of Coke, like a lot of Pop. Mm -hmm. It just tastes gross after a while.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think we were talking about like young people feeling like they're missing something, Mm. and I wanted to mention that. In my experience with people in China, um, they're really craving morality. You know, their system doesn't provide any morality, any like higher code mm-hmm. of what's right and wrong to guide their behavior. Um, and they've seen the effects in their society. You know, there are famous story, there's a famous story of like a young girl getting run over by a cart or cars like multiple times um, and plenty of people were around and watched and nobody went to help mm-hmm. her. Um, and China was collectively disgusted by that revelation of their own society. Mm. Um, and when I was in China, people told me like, if you see someone like trip and fall on the street, don't help them because they'll sue you. <laughs> um, if you like, if they're hurt and they have nobody to sue and you touch them, they can blame it on you and they're going to sue you. Mm. So Chinese people told me explicitly, don't help people when you see them struggling or suffering. That's one of the ideas
2: is spreading in South Korea too these days. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. So don't help any women that you don't know in the street.
0: If, uh, if you listen to this and you're interested in uh, hearing more, I, S- Stanley Payne, who's a scholar emeritus at UW-Madison, has written, the, I think, really definitive works on fascism. Much of the stuff in those volumes, it's, this is very technical writing. A lot of the stuff in the volumes uh, applies across the board. Um, reading Christian biography of Christians who suffered under totalitarian regimes is so important. Mm. Um, I think any, I think anybody who wants to be a leader or thinker at all, you need to read at least the abridged version of the Gulag Archipelago. And if you can't do that, I'll tell you which chapters to read. Just email us. You have to read the chapter on truth. You just have to, um, and I want to be very, very clear about this. I believe at the present moment there's a little bit more danger in American leftism towards totalitarianism. I only believe that because they control a lot of our, our institutions of society and culture. I believe that the writer, the further right wing of American, um, uh, I wouldn't really call. I don't want to call it conservatism, but I guess that's the best word. There is, a, there is a way to be totalitarian in that realm also. Um, and so I, this is, is, to me, this isn't a left or right thing. I, we could do another episode. We have done episodes about racial injustice, how important it is to deal with that, how to face it head on, and how to work in those areas to make things better. So if you listen to this podcast, and you're like, oh, this is just like republicanism. Like, this is not. South Korea has nothing to do with republicanism, Chinese totalitarianism and fascism and historic communism and Christians being martyred in the early centuries has nothing to do with American republicanism. It has to do with the behavior of the human race, given certain incentives in certain contexts based on certain fears, and how Christians will go along with it if their discipleship is insufficient. And in places where great actions were taken against these sorts of regimes, it was often done by some of the most godly, strong, and resilient believers. And we need we need people in this generation, one, to stop these things from happening again mm-hmm. so that we never do have to face this and we can keep our energy on issues of real injustice in our society instead mm-hmm. of creating new terrible ones. Mm-hmm. And so don't think that this is politically one way. As a Christian, you should see things in... All kinds of different views that are important to recognize and that people are getting right and extremes by which those things go terribly wrong Mm -hmm. there's almost no view of human flourishing that cannot be understood in a way as to make it go terribly wrong and progressivism is a has a lot of incredibly good things in it that Christians need to utilize and feed on but there are numerous ways in which it can go terribly wrong and in the United States and in South Korea Mm -hmm. It is going terribly wrong. And we need to keep the good and stand against the bad. And the same will be true if the right comes into ascendancy. There are things in American conservatism and libertarianism that are really, really good for human flourishing and others that will make it go terribly wrong. And there's certain kinds of nationalisms and nativisms and so on that are very disgusting and terrible morally that we have to stand against. And when the day and hour comes for that, we'll have to do that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to stand a lot. Um, the the great 90-foot golden idol that everyone is commanded to bow to will be remade in every generation. And God will be looking for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to decide they will not bow the knee no matter what happens to them, no matter who the new emperor is. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I hope you can see past that. And I hope that you'll be interested in learning more about this because I believe that we need a nonpartisan witness in the right direction of balanced and prudent people who will not be silenced and that we'll have to rally to and with each other as people try to cancel us. Any final words from you guys?
2: Um. I enjoyed talking <laughs> about my career. Um, so anyone who's listening to this podcast, uh, please pray for South Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: And um, don't panic, I guess, <laughs> yeah. um, because the panicking um, denies our hope yeah. and our confidence in Christ. Um, so not turning, not isolating ourselves and ignoring. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we recognize, um, the dangers to also not panic and to spread a culture of panic, yeah. um, yeah. and to pray. Yeah. Like Sang again said.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the things that this reminds me too of is just how I want to keep reading over and over again, the Lord of the Rings because it's the story about a battle that everybody good knows they're going to lose the whole time, mm. no matter what they do, no matter what happened, they're going to lose. Mm. And they're, they're just like, it doesn't matter. I still have to do what's good. Yeah. Like I have to, I have to choose what kind of person I'm <clears throat> going to be in my death. And then unforeseen things happen where Providence works on their side and they turn out to win in the end, but nobody dreams are going to win until it happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a, it's such an important image of the Christian life that like we constantly are fighting this long defeat and God will ultimately bring about some good at the end, but maybe not in our chapter. And I just think that's a profoundly Christian book and idea. And I think it's important for our times, you know, guys, thanks so much for doing this. I know like this could affect you in the future that you were on here. And, um, but I know that you believed and I certainly believe some of this stuff needs to be said. Mm hmm. Hopefully, you guys will write some blogs and some pieces together where some of this can come together in quotations and stuff. You've got so much here, and these notes we didn't get to cover. But I'd love to publish some stuff to the blog, and even maybe have come back and do some other stuff because I I, I know people are going to get upset about this. Mm-hmm. They're going to say it was partisan mm-hmm. and so on. And I don't. I it's not that I don't care. I will not bow to that pressure. I think it's wrong, and I think this stuff needs to be said. So thanks so much for being here.
1: I'll pray for China too. yeah Yeah. and North Korea and And, um yeah I think there's a pressure in society that saying something negative about uh a country or its leadership Mm -hmm. is saying something against the people Mm -hmm. um and is hate towards the people but that couldn't be further from the truth I mean the reason that we care about the injustices of the Chinese government is because we care about the Chinese people yeah Um, and not
0: just the Uyghurs but the we care about the perpetrators as much as we care about the victims I
1: care Mm. about the prison guards, I care about the the police, I care Mm. about the members of the communist party Mm -hmm. Um, and um, so I also hope that it won't be misconstrued as just like showering um, condemnation Mm. on the the people or the country um, because it couldn't be farther from the truth I was just laying in bed crying in love for my Chinese students last night thinking about this podcast. And so, uh, yeah, please pray for China too. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Yep, Thank you. you.
0: Thank you.